0: Broadcasting from occupied territories or the flea media, it's the Reality Dysfunction Podcast. A space where a diverse group of brown folk from across the nation explore the political experiences and social future of our Chicano Latino community. Control the narrative, resist the dysfunction.
1: Hey, welcome to The Reality Dysfunction. Um, Today, we're going to talk about the coronavirus and the vaccine and how you can get vaccinated. So starting off, I am Carolina Sanchez. Uh, We are here in Redlands, California, in the Inland Empire. And it's bright and sunny, but it's cold because it's 60 degrees. (laughs) Okay, and Francisco.
2: Uh, Francisco Lopez, also here in the 951, California's Inland Empire.
3: Alex. Uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Alex Lozada coming from the East Coast. Uh, Danny.
4: Dan yeah, Sosa in Saginaw, Michigan. Uh, Reiner. Reiner Delgado in Lansing, Michigan, where it's 41 degrees. And Sunday and Monday, it'll be around zero. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: <no. laughs> uh, Juan Carlos. Juan Carlos.
4: Ju- Juan
5: Carlos Vega. Uh, Boricua in Washington, D.C., and it is cold in here. Uh,
1: Carlos.
0: Carlos Hernandez coming from San Antonio, Texas, and actually, hate to tell you, but the weather's pretty nice out here. (laughs) It's like, hovers around 70 right now. 70, 70 70-something.
1: Nice. And last but not least, Ernesto.
6: Hey, this is Ernesto Morales uh, coming from Prescott, Arizona, where it is um, almost always nice. The weather is, is beautiful. It's one of the only things that I can say to recommend this city to the rest of you. <laughs> it has good weather.
1: Okay, and today we are here with um, my wonderful father, Dr. Javier Sanchez. Dr. Javier Sanchez is an associate professor of family medicine at UCR. He's a vice, he's the vice president of the San Bernardino County Medical Society, the vice chair of District 2 of the California Medical Association, a and you know, in his free time, is the is a family practice doctor um, for our local Kaiser over here. Um, you know, and when he's not doing that, he's raising two awesome daughters. So,
7: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank you so much for having me. Um, this is uh, a great opportunity to to really um, get to interact with you, and, and um, it's really a privilege to get to know each and every one of you. I, I met one or two of you before, but this is a great opportunity. I think in the last um, sort of year, I've been asked to talk about COVID and the coronavirus and so on, and especially with um, in the communities of color, okay? So what I'd like us to do more than anything else, really have a conversation. because I think that's the most important thing. And, and I didn't wanna have any prepared uh, slides and so on, because I think the best thing for us is to really just have a conversation about what COVID 19 is, um, how it's impacted, especially the Latinx community. And now that we have the um, vaccine available, um, we can actually figure out a way to get back to whatever normal that's gonna be for all of us. So let me tell you a little bit about my experience with COVID. Um, I I actually got COVID right from the beginning at the end of March, um, as we were sort of getting ready to start to really fight this um, somehow our clinic had an outbreak and we had a couple of patients that came in and, and got four, four of us infected and I actually ended up getting the worst worst of it. I uh, ended up developing pneumonia I needed oxygen I needed to really spend a day in the hospital and then spend three weeks um, out sort of isolating myself and with that I actually got my wife infected and then so we actually had to move out out of the house to really keep our, young um, or uh, in-laws who are 80 and, ni- and 80 and 78 years old, um, really protected. So, so that was quite the experience. And when I got back into the clinic and started seeing patients, one of the first things I, I did is I learned about a family, uh, uh, patients of mine that had been uh, pretty much with me for about 10 years. Um, the father um, got really sick from COVID, um, ended up Um, having to go to multiple emergency rooms and hospital stations before he was being treated. And unfortunately, he ended up passing away. And because there was eight family members in his household, all of them got infected and his wife ended up getting really sick. So it really took about three months for the wife to recover. And so that, to me, really started COVID um, and really, really drove the point of how important it was to really focus on, educating our community, and really letting everybody know how severe this disease really is. And since then, I've been sort of meeting with my family, letting them know how they can take care of themselves with COVID. I've had a couple of Facebook meetings with them. Um, uh, community and the community leaders have asked me to do the same thing. So I've been doing that and obviously treating the, uh, a lot of my patients, especially my la- my large Latino population that we have. So, especially in the, in the Latinx communities, we've been impacted quite a bit. Here in California, we make up about 39% of the population, but yet we make up about 50% of the COVID cases. And about half of the COVID deaths here in California are Latinos. So it's been really bad impact. And so why is that? I mean, you know, we're trying to figure out why is that happening? And a lot of it is, our families, our culture, what we do, you know, we we have big, large families, we have multi-generational homes and in, in our family alone, we have our in-laws here, um, my wife and I, and our kids are all here. Um, and and mo- a lot, we have a lot of families like that. They have multi-generational homes. So that if somebody gets infected, then they can pass it on to, to, to the rest of the family, just like I got infected and I gave it to my wife. And that's why we had to leave. The other thing is we're, we like to work and we are pretty much the essential workers in this in this economy. And we all have to go and go to work. We can't really take time off. Uh, a lot of our essential workers can stay home and do Zoom, okay? They actually need to go to work to really feed us, to pick our fruits, to clean our, our homes or hotels. And, and do all the essential work that they need to do. And so that is where the impact has been. And that's why we've seen a lot of our community really impacted negatively. Um, um, Mr. Adriano one of, one of the best writers that we have here for the LA Times, just wrote a nice article on the Atlantic about how that has impacted how the COVID vaccine has impacted the Latinos, especially in his area over in Orange County and how some of the measures that the community has taken, the county and so on, have been really not very useful to the community and they really haven't helped the community and it's actually made it worse for them. Um, One of my mentors, Dr. David Hayes-Bautista is coming out with a book. um, And I think the name of the book is gonna be COVID-19 Punishes Latinos for Hard Work and Strong Families that's gonna really um, tell us and through the research he's done, how negatively uh, COVID-19 has impacted all of us. Uh, and so that's been a big, big problem. So now I've joined with a group of young physicians and they're using this hashtag, this is our shot to really educate the community about the vaccine, about how important it is to get the vaccine. The one good thing that I've noticed is a lot of Latinos, a lot of Latinx communities, they're not really into the conspiracy theories as much. (laughs) Some of them are, but but not as much as other, other communities. So that's actually been good. But some of the basic questions that I've been asked about the COVID vaccine is why did we get it out so quickly? Is there an issue with that? How can we turn around and be able to get a vaccine pretty much in eight, nine months where before we told everybody that it would take years and years and years to do it. And the reality is, is that the technology that we've been using for vaccines has been around for a long, long time. Especially these two new vaccines, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine. Um, These types of vaccines have been in research for over 10 years. Uh, When Ebola back in uh, 10 years ago came out, out here in the US and it's impacted us a little bit, um, the technology started really moving forward on how to develop these vaccines that have this protein called the messenger RNA, and so we've known that we can do this for a long, long time. We just didn't have the funding. And what changed this year um, from before was that the, the the federal government threw all this money at these companies and said, "Don't worry about the production. Don't worry about." what you need to do to produce a vaccine, we will make sure that you get paid to produce a vaccine, whether your vaccine works or not. And that's where all these companies, both here in the US and in Europe, um, went in sort of full board to try to develop these vaccines as quickly as, as we could, because we were able to do the research at the same time that the vaccines were being um, were being developed, okay? So they were being manufactured. Um, but. You well know that this vaccine from the beginning, our federal government has been a complete disaster on getting the word out of what, how how bad the vaccine is, the rollout of the vaccine, and now we're paying for it. Okay, and we've seen how devastating it's been, especially to our community, um, this, all this misinformation that's been going on. So now our opportunity is to make sure that we get everyone vaccinated because this is what we want is we want to get back to normal and that's why there's all these young physicians using that hashtag this is our shot so this is our shot to get back to normal this is our shot to be able to get back to our parties with our with our families to be able to go to the quinceañeras the 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 posadas you know the large gatherings the birthday parties i mean in, in our family, we have missed that tremendously. I, I think I've never spent so much time with uh, Francisco as I did this last <laughs> eight months, because that's the only family that did we see. I, I don't see my extended family; I see them on Zoom, but physically, you know, it's between when we go to Moreno Valley to visit with them. That's our night out. That's where we get our air. And so, what we want is make sure that everybody can get out there. And, and get back to whatever that normal and we wanna get them to get the vaccine. Now, in terms of the vaccine, myself, I got the vaccine as soon as I could get it, despite having COVID, okay? And the reality is that everyone, for the most part, who gets the vaccine, you will get some side effects. Some of us will get the, the, the side effects that are gonna be mild. Some of us are gonna get the, the, the side effects that are a little bit harsher. I've been very, I guess lucky that I've had a pretty bad, I had a pretty bad reaction the first time I had the, the vaccine. Uh, my wife wasn't as bad. Um, the second vaccine wasn't as bad. But I think we need to be upfront with everyone to, to make sure that they understand that you may develop some side effects. And those side effects are not gonna be as bad as getting the, the coronavirus, but you need to be ready for it. So that way, when they get the vaccine, there's no surprises for them. And with that, I'll leave it up to you guys to ask me any questions. Um, again, I want this to be more of a conversation than anything else, um, be happy
2: to uh, answer anything. Uh, we can go anywhere you want. So have you ever wanted to follow up with you on the hashtag, this is our shot. What are some of the a- avenues that this group is uh, spreading the message through? Where can- this has
7: been a, a tremendous, I mean, I, I, I've been incredibly impressed. It started out with, um, so at the California Medical Association, we have different sort of groups. And one of those groups is the young physician group. And these are young physicians who have been in practice less than five years. And they're, they're incredibly savvy with social media. Okay. And so what they did is they, they said, we got to get people not only, um, for them to learn about the vaccine, but we also need to encourage them. So they've been mm-hmm. posting on Facebook, on Twitter, mm-hmm. on Instagram, every time you, you, they get a shot, anybody who gets a shot, they, this is our shot. Any kind of information that they have, they, they wanna press it out. So it started out with a group of 50 y- young folks and I, I was included in it because of- You're my, a young folks. <laughs> because of, of uh, being talking to the Latinx community and, because they, they wanted to reach not only the, the general population, but also uh, the African-American community and the Latinx community. And, and so they've been doing that. But with that, they've actually partnered. They started out with partnering just with the California Medical Association. Now they partner with the American Pediatric Association, the, the American Academy of Family Physicians. They partnered with the National Hispanic Medical Association. They have, I mean, now it's it's US wide, I mean, it, it, they have over 150 organizations that they have partnered with. And every Tuesday they meet to continue to increase this number of doctors that are getting involved in it to, to educate the population about the importance of getting the vaccine, but also they're letting us know, they're giving us information about how to work with social media, what to do. Last night we had a fantastic meeting about projecting a positive message about the vaccine, about making sure that you don't get caught up with the anti-vaxxers, um, because that could be a rabbit hole you don't wanna go into, you know? And and so they, they really are um, doing fantastic. So if you go on Facebook and you put this is, you know, the hashtag, this is our shot, or you go on Twitter or Instagram, you will see that. And then they're providing significant information about the side effects, about the types of vaccines, about where the rollouts in the particular areas, whether in California or Colorado or Washington or whatever it is, Um, uh, you know, in in Detroit, um, we had a talk about somebody from Detroit last night. So they really are done a fantastic job in the last 30 days to expand their message about the importance of getting the vaccine.
2: So if somebody wanted additional information, they could just look up, this is our shot, COVID-19? Yes,
7: okay. yes. So, and, and also the, it can
6: provide you the resources where you can go.
2: Yeah, that'd be great. We'll put them on our webpage.
6: So I, I, have, a, I have a couple of things. One, I, I just wanna say that I, I really appreciate you being here. I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's super important. I, I got my shot um, a month ago, my first shot, and I go for my second uh, shot. Um, February 6th, which is this Saturday. And I just want to say for the record that I, I do that with no fear. Um, and I got my first shot with no fear. Uh, you know, I've been vaccinated against different things my entire life. I mean, i I think I'm one of the last generations that has a polo vaccination vaccine, uh, Mark. And I am just, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to categorize the whole anti-vaccine thing. I think it's very, it's it's very strange. Um, but I I wanted to ask you a question, and it's it's not necessarily about the vaccine, but it has more to do with the vitamin D and like the melanin. And I was just wondering if maybe you could talk about that a little bit, like what in your opinion, what your opinion is about that. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So wait, I'll go first. Cause this is actually like a really interesting thing that happened to us. So I have very severe asthma. I take like a high dose of uh, an allergy medicine, almost an equivalent to an allergy shot because of my asthma. And one of the things that my um, allergist had recommended was taking high doses of vitamin D. And so I have been for, you know, more or less two years now. And, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, post my parents getting sick was one of the things that we were like, oh, that's probably one of the reasons why I didn't get sick, because I was around them. We didn't know at the time that we needed to wear masks, you know, and we were just washing our hands and doing all that kind of stuff. But I was, you know, still within the vicinity of them while they were, while they had the, or while they had coronavirus. And, but I was taking these high doses of vitamin D, and I didn't get sick at all, Um, which is phenomenal, considering the fact that we live maybe like five feet away from each other. And so- Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that was really crazy, but yeah, I just, that's our experience.
7: So, so one thing that, that I, I always tell my medical students and my residents, um, what I learned in medicine, um, back as a a medical student, as a resident, 50% of what I learned is wrong. Okay. What I don't know is what that 50% is. And that's the, the beauty, the beauty about medicine is we keep evolving, we keep learning things. You know, when we first um, learned about the, the, the coronavirus, COVID-19, um, we really, really didn't know much about it. Now we know a lot more, but it keeps evolving. So a lot of the information that we were given early on, it may be irrelevant now as compared to now. So, but one of the, the things that we've learned is actually vitamin D really does help. So for whatever reason, and we still don't know the the mechanics behind it, is why does vitamin D um, is protective uh, against the coronavirus. Um, but we do know that those individuals that have high uh, levels of vitamin D tend to do a lot better. They don't tend to get infected as much. And those that have the lower levels tend to um, get infected more frequently, and they tend to do worse. And so, Right now, we started saying, okay, everybody should be on a 1,000 units of vitamin D. Now we're going up to, we went up to 2,000. And the latest ones is between five and 10,000 units of vitamin D daily. So, you know, it's evolving and we're, we are seeing that. So the other sort of supplement that we know that, that works, and again, we don't know, is zinc, okay? Now, zinc doesn't work as protective as vitamin D, but zinc does has some protective factors there. Um, and But we do know that 40 milligrams of, of, of zinc is probably enough for most people, okay? Uh, but it's not as, as severe as what we've seen with vitamin D.
3: Yeah,
1: and one of the things that we're gonna be looking at, because I'm the last one to not have the vaccine, but I should be getting it soon, hopefully, um, is how my high levels of vitamin D are gonna affect my side effects of the vaccine and of the shot um if they're going to be less if they're going to be more what's like you know me compared to the normal so.
5: let's Doc, can i eat the vitamin c the vitamin d somehow instead of a supplement i'm um, sorry say that again the vitamin. can i can i eat the vitamin d and the zinc somehow instead of taking a supplement supplements are pretty expensive I, I- yeah. and they're not covered by insurance no, they're not they're not so, so, I mean, it's incredible how expensive they are, and they're supposed to be for our health. So, can I eat it somehow? Is there something like I can what,
0: eat? Milk? Like Get out in the so. sun.
5: Back <laughs> or... I don't know. I'm asking the doc. Doc, what do you think? <laughs>
7: <No>. <laughs> so so um, the, the 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 quick answer to that is is yes. Uh, but the long answer to that is you probably cannot eat enough to get the levels of vitamin D that you need if you already start with the low levels, okay? Um, And so that's an issue. Now, if you, but the majority of the vitamin D that we get is actually from the sun, okay? And so that's the, the big issue. So the U.S., if you look at the equator where we are located from the equator, we're actually a little further up than we should be, So um, the amount of UV light that we get, the amount of rays that we get from the sun, that's one of the major reasons that here in the US, we don't have a lot of people, we have a lot of people with vitamin D deficiency, or at least low levels of vitamin D. Time Uh, to move to Colombia
5: and Puerto Rico, that's it. That's uh, the last one. um, I
0: I, I have a question. Um, You know, when when it first started hitting, uh, they were talking about vulnerable populations and, and especially people with uh, pre-existing conditions and and certain, um, you know, conditions that, that made it worse. In the beginning, because they didn't know, they kind of talked about like those were the people that were definitely the most vulnerable to mortality, you know. But as it's gone on, it seems like, man, this can take anybody. You know, certainly certain populations are at risk, but it seems like it doesn't really matter. So. Are, has there, what's the latest studies or the latest insight into why, you know, some people just get kind of like a cold, you know, like have some mild symptoms or the flu, and then other people, it, it takes them. Like, why is there such a, um, a fluctuation of results? And it doesn't seem necessarily to be age or preconsisting conditions. I mean, it seems kind of like it can do it to anybody. Is there any studies or insight into why?
7: So right now, um, the, the, the majority of the information that we have is that you, when you get infected with the coronavirus is that you get an inflammatory response, okay? So it's a diffuse inflammatory response. And, and the issue lies in the kind of response you get. And some people get a worse response than others. We do know that more men are more susceptible than women. And we don't know why. We do know that the older population, the vulnerable populations, the, 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 um, those populations are gonna, if they do get the virus, they may do worse, okay? So we do know that. Um, we still don't know why certain people um, don't get as bad of a reaction as others. We do know that it has to do with the inflammatory response that you get And it, and that's why with kids, this is something very been very fascinating. Is that the immunology or the immune system of kids (laughs) hasn't fully developed, and so when they get infected with COVID, their response to it is very minimal, and therefore they don't get really sick, but they could be carriers, so they're carrying the virus. Okay, older populations, you know, sort of. 18 and up, uh, we do know that it can vary. The more susceptible you are because your immune system is lower, the, the worst response you can get, it's called a cytokine crisis that can occur, okay? And so for whatever reason, some people react a lot worse. Um, there's some theories behind it, but they're still not quite clear as to why, okay? And that's why some of the treatments that you may have heard at the beginning, um, people thought they were gonna work. And and the the, the most common one is uh, hydroxychloroquine, okay? Where they made a big deal about that at the beginning (laughs) because that's an anti-inflammatory medication. And since this was an inflammatory disease, they thought just load you up with that, minimize the inflammatory response and you'll be be fine. And that really doesn't work, okay? So it it, it doesn't really work. The research clearly shows that it doesn't really work. Um, in other countries, um, right now in Brazil and in Africa and in India, they're using an anti-parasite uh, medication, uh, uh for, for the treatment of it, um, especially at the early signs of it. We don't know if it's going to work <laughs> or not. We don't really know why it might work. Okay. In the U.S., we're not using it or most people in the U.S. are not using it. I can't say that we don't use it. Um, So again, um, there's still a lot to learn, okay? And I will probably will know more in the next um, five years about the impact of the coronavirus on the body. We do know it's an inflammatory disease. So it causes significant inflammation. And that's why you see some people with significant inflammation in the lungs, they can get blood clots, they can get uh, bleeding in the brain, okay? Um, and, and that creates a big problem for them.
1: Okay, Reiner, next question.
4: Oh, okay, I was just uh, trying to get some clarification. UCR, that's the University of California, Riverside. Oh, yes. yes. Okay, and uh, yeah, I, I'm, uh, it's interesting to hear about the vitamin D and the uh, zinc because uh, by coincidence, uh, my endocrinologist uh, tested me and he's like, well, I want you to start, this is September ish. And he's like, I want you to start taking a vitamin D supplement, B12 supplement, and and then at the eye doctor, the retinologist, he was like, here to have these free samples, and they they coincidentally had zinc in them. So I was just like, hearing that, I was like, oh, that's that's some 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 uh, beneficial happen happenstance for me, but good to hear. So uh, I find this very interesting, um, and uh, so. Anyone else has some stuff to hear? I'll, I'll go fight with anti-vaxxers online, but you know I do that anyway. So
8: I have two questions. Yeah, yeah. If, if it's okay. Thank you. Thank you again, Dr. Sanchez, for coming on um, the show. I think this will help a lot of people. Um, my family lost, uh, I lost my first cousin a couple of weeks ago to the disease and uh, he was a single father when he passed away. Um, so I hope somebody hears this and um, does the right thing, I guess, is the best way to say it. But I have two questions. Um, I saw a statistic. It's been going around the last couple of weeks um, that 62% of uh, workers in nursing homes have refused the vaccine. Oh Yeah. Um, this has been confirmed by a couple of different sources which is really shocking to me. I think 25% would be shocking to me, but it it seems really odd that the majority of these people, and they work in healthcare, are refusing the vaccine and they're around very, people who are very susceptible to the disease. Do you have an opinion on that?
7: <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very unfortunate. And and I wish I could tell you that the data is incorrect, but it's not, okay? Just, just um, I, last night I was looking at some data and um, just here locally in, in Southern California, um, only 39% of, of healthcare workers in nursing homes had been vaccinated. Okay, even though the vaccine has been available for them since the beginning, um, I, I I don't really know um, sort of some of the hesitation. Um, I think we're trying to learn more about it. Uh, a lot of it is education. A lot of it is that they're um, they don't think it's 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 uh it's going to be bad for them um they, they don't know enough about the process of how the vaccines came about okay um i know there's there's some information out there that the, there's a chip on the on the on, the, on the, <laughs> the vaccines which is ridiculous but but people believe it um and and so what our goal is to really try to focus on them to try to focus on Asking them why is they they're hesitant about it, okay? Meet them where they're at, um, and then try to encourage them to get vaccinated. And I can tell you that once we get a one-on-one with these individuals and we hear their hesitation, um, more often than not, they're turning around and getting the vaccine. But we have a, a lot of a, a lot of work to do. Thank
8: you. The second part of my question is: there seems to be a lot of (sighs) confusion, misinformation when it comes to the availability of the vaccine, depending on your individual characteristics, right? I mean, it seems like 65 and older in every state in the country can get the vaccine now, and if you've got pre-existing conditions. But I'll use myself as an example. I have um, I have diabetes, um, and my employer also certifies me as a child welfare worker, right? So I have a letter from my employer saying I can get the vaccine. I went to the health department website yesterday and I couldn't figure out how to sign up for a vaccine. Okay. I mean, I don't consider myself a stupid person. Uh, maybe Todd does, but I don't know. I'm just kidding. But yeah, <laughs> I, I couldn't you figure or it myself. <laughs> no, consider me. But, don't um, but the two categories on their website were 65 and older. Um, and then there was a section for group vaccinations and I'm clicking on things I'm reading and I couldn't find it. Um, so I've kind of made it my mission today to figure out how I can get a vaccine. Um, Cause I'm also part of a group trying to spread correct information. And I've committed to take a video of myself getting the vaccine and, <laughs> and that sort of thing. But so my question is It seems like we're all over the place, depending on what state we're in. What are some states, in your opinion, doing right? And what are some states doing wrong?
7: Well, um, first and foremost, um, you have to understand the distribution of the vaccine. So uh, the federal government is responsible for the vaccine. And the federal government um, dictates who, uh, which states get the vaccine, when, and how much of the vaccine they get. Once they get to the state level, then the states, then um, pretty much decide where they wanna do it. And some states, um, they've been able to work directly with certain groups. Um, Others, um, like here in California, uh, at the beginning, they said that it was gonna go through the public health departments of each county, and that has been a complete disaster. Okay, it hasn't really worked out that well. Uh, And so it's just primarily, a lot of the hesitation from some of the states about giving the vaccine or making it available is that they wanna make sure that there's enough vaccine available so not only you can get one, but you can get the second one. Because right now, here in the US, we only have uh, Moderna and Pfizer available. And so that's that's been a, a big issue. The The second thing is that just the rollout itself, I mean, because of that, it's been a complete disaster. I mean, it hasn't been well-organized um, in, in some areas um, you can do, they've done it quite well. Uh, I'll take, for example, I think it was um, Idaho. Idaho, despite being a, a very small state, um, they decided to just give it up, they could give it to everyone, you know, especially essential workers um, and, and teachers and so on, because they, they wanted to open up the schools. So what they did is they they said, okay, we're gonna open up the schools, but every teacher is gonna get the vaccine and we're gonna go to your school and give you the vaccine. Now, obviously it's a a small state, so that way they can get it done much faster than the bigger states like Texas and and California and so on. But the the one thing is that the federal government now in the last two weeks, they, they really have, Figured out that okay, we don't have enough vaccine. We were told that they kept a reserve by the the previous administration of 100 million doses. It turns out that that was never there. Oh, no, had, you know, and so a lot of states were waiting for that. Okay, we're gonna run out, and they, we're gonna get it. It was never. They never had. A, they never had a reserve. I mean, they never did, and so this new administration has been working with the companies to really um, get the vaccine out. Um, and now they they purchase a lot more. And now they're not just, um, this past week said that they were gonna increase the number of doses in each vial, and then we're gonna start to giving those out. So um, it, it's really been a complete disaster, just like it's been from the beginning about how to deal <laughs> with this pandemic, um, but we're learning, okay? And now, You can get the vaccine at local pharmacies like CVS, Walgreens, and so on. So you can go there. Um, You talked about going online. I mean, just in my institution at Casio Permanente, um, we thought we want everybody to get on the app. We want everybody to make an appointment, you know, to get the vaccine. We'll send you a text, okay? And we're gonna do it to the 75 year olds and older. Guess what? These folks, even though they have the app, They have no clue how to go and and it it takes five, 10 minutes to click in this and this and that to make sure you're eligible for it. And you know, the first two weeks of the rollout to the 75 year olds, we only got about 20% of them.
8: Yeah.
7: Okay. And then people were showing up to our clinics and and saying, I signed up and they hadn't signed up and nobody was helping them (laughs) to try to get the appointment. So, you know, I wish I could tell you that it's, um, it's gonna get a lot better um, soon, but it will get a lot better quickly, um, much faster than than in the past. And if you're fall within those categories right now, if you're sixty five and older, if you have pre-existing conditions, if you're a teacher right now, I think teachers are online, um, you can find the vaccine, either go through your health department, your your public health department go through uh, Walgreens or any of the pharmacies they have it, and you should be able to get the vaccine. And also remember, the vaccine is free. So no matter where you get it, you don't have to pay for it.
3: So... I just had a couple of questions in regards to: Are there any populations that should not be taking the vaccine? That they need to be aware of any severe side effects, or it's not going to work well with whatever conditions, pre-existing conditions they may have? So
7: the only pre, the, the the only group that should not get the vaccine is those individuals that have had significant anaphylactic reaction to the flu vaccine, and that's a very small amount. Okay. Um, even though there's a chance that even if you haven't had that kind of a reaction in the past with the flu vaccine, that um, you, you can still get it with this one, but that's right now the only group. Okay. In, in the studies, they didn't include any kids. So 16 and under right now, it's, it's not something that we're uh, making the vaccine available. Um, there was very few pregnant women Uh, with the Moderna um, trial, um, but we're seeing that um, it's relatively safe for them, okay? The same thing that that we're um, breastfeeding um, uh, for women who are breastfeeding. Uh, We also, um, there weren't really any inclusion in that in the study, but now we're noticing that there's really no contraindication. Now, um, it's something that if you're pregnant, if, if you're breastfeeding, you should have a conversation with your with your uh, primary care doctor and, and look at the risk-benefit ratio for you. But what we've seen now that we're not really seeing any problems. Now, at this point, as of last night, we've had over 24 million people vaccinated, okay? So by that time, we should know if there's any significant issues with the vaccine. And we don't. And I mean, we really haven't seen anything other than some of us get really bad side effects that we're down for a couple of days, but other than that, well, we don't. We really haven't seen anything. Yet.
3: My parents have gotten the vaccine. My parents are in their mid-70s, right? Yes. And so they're actually a part of Kaiser. And it was my sister who had to help them get their appointments because, you know, they're trying to figure out from the app, like, well, I can't see that. That looks blurry. So we were very thankful. They actually went, I think, to Dodger Stadium is where they went because there was nothing close by. So we were very thankful. So now they've gotten the vaccine. So what are some precautions that they still need to be taking into account even though they've had the vaccine. Right now it's just like, oh, well, we're gonna come and visit you or we can go out with no masks.
7: (laughs) So after you get the first vaccine, um, your immune system response is about 50% protection, okay? After the second shot, that's where it goes up to 94% for Moderna, 95% for Pfizer. So that's, that's phenomenal, okay? Um, you also have to remember that um, there's still a chance you can get it. I mean, there's still a 5% chance, 6% chance you can still get it. Um, But we do know that, especially with the studies, that even those individuals that got the vaccine, who got sick, none of them were hospitalized, none of them died, okay? So that's phenomenal. So that means that not only it protects you significantly against getting the, the vaccine, but even if you do get it, you don't get any severe complications from getting it. Okay. Now, the big question is: Where can we stop using our mask? When can we stop? Um, when can we start gathering with individuals, with our families, and so on? Well, for that, it's a little bit more complicated because we need to make sure that the population as a whole um, gets vaccinated or has had the vac- uh, has had the coronavirus at one point or another. And we need about 70% minimum of the population to get, to get to that level. We ideally like to get to up to 80% of that, okay? So right now, based on the number of people who have gotten the vaccine, and based on the number of people that have um, been infected with the virus, we know probably, uh, there's probably about 100 million people right now who have some kind of immunity, okay? So based on the data that we have, we think there's about 100 million people right now who have either been uh, vaccinated already or have been infected with COVID and they have some immune response to it. So we still need to get, you know, there's 350 million people, 350 million people in the US, we still have a long ways to go.
1: Yeah, so long story short, Still, wash your hands, wear a mask, double mask if you can. Um, okay, Juan Carlos.
5: Yeah. Um, wow. appreciate that, Doc. All your really honest, you know, doctor answers, right? And... Um, so, for for since like two thousand one, I've been working with CDC funded projects relating to the reduction of health disparities. And one of the projects in which I worked on was the National Influenza Vaccination Disparities Project. And we specifically were. Targeting, creating strategic, you know, stra- outreach, strategic communications in Spanish and English that were for our gente, for our familia, right? And, you know, while I'm truly surprised how the departments of health at the local level have not been ready to distribute, even if they were not, and even if Trump messed up not having the vaccinations ready fine but why weren't that why aren't the departments of health at the state and city county level ready when they do this already with the flu vaccination and they've been doing it for so long so i am in total shock that they're not you know prepared for that and that's not my you know my main concern my main concern right now is that the vaccination disparities partnership exists because there's no effective outreach to our communities there isn't and I know and you know that the general CDC content which is the main public health agency in the country does its minimum that gets to our communities and still some section in Spanish instead of being fully integrated I am concerned about the people of color the migrant and the undocumented the trans the Spanish speakers the recent arrivals into the system and even the uninsured who don't know that can get it for free, right? What is, as a doctor, what is your recommendation? And and you're a professor and you are Carolina's father and you're a lot of things, right? But as a doctor that works, you know, on the ground, what is the best way that the public public health system needs, what do they need to do to get access to the vaccine to these communities that otherwise may not go to the world or may not go to the, to the county health, dep- health dep- hospital. Sorry about the long question. Thank you.
7: No, I mean, um, I, unfortunately, most of our public health departments and, and public health in general has been underfunded for decades. Okay. So we really haven't put a whole lot of money in public health for now, for almost two decades. And that's that we're seeing the consequences of that. The second thing is just knowing about our community, our Latinx community, our our African American communities um, and getting the message to them. And and one of the things that I've learned in the last 20 some years that I've been a a physician is that we need to go where they are. We can't expect them to come to us, okay? And that's the approach that um, we've had for a number of years is we, we think, okay, we're gonna make it easier for you to come to us and they don't come to us, I mean, that's not, that's not it. So we have to go to them, okay? And those so, so uh, as folks like me and others, they're pushing our institutions, okay? Whether it's Kaiser Permanente or uh, University of California, Riverside Medical School, um, you know, the county facilities and our politicians and everybody to really go to where the community is, okay? And that's what we're learning. And we're doing it more and more. I'm not saying that we're perfect, but we're doing it more and more. And this is one example that I think we're learning about is that how do we get our communities vaccinated, okay? And it's not about making it just the vaccine available, is we need to go to where they're at. Ask them, what is it? that you need in order for me to give you the vaccine? How do I make it easy for you to get the vaccine? Okay, what's your hesitation, if any? Okay, and and surprisingly, what I've seen in, in, in our community, there's very little hesitation. They want the vaccine. They want to get back to normal, but they, they don't have
5: the access to it but that means providing access after 5 p.m. It's in the evenings, but, it's yeah. in the weekends, it's just, just the yeah. hours. Where the sex worker is, that's where we need to go because the sex worker is not gonna go to Walgreens or CVS. Thanks, doc.
1: I think one of the uh, other things too that I've noticed with how like my dad and, both, and my mom have approached this subject is doing a lot of stuff in Spanish and in English Having these translations, I know early on, uh, Riverside County was doing uh, dual like press conferences in both Spanish and English because that is, you know, the majority of their community, and I think that's really important. And uh, the other thing is also making yourself available. Like my dad has made himself available to talk, to be able to text with our family, with our family friends, all these kind of things about our own hesitations. And so, as someone who Is like, you know, the daughter of a doctor and can see this. I would recommend if, like, any Latinx doctors, but also like any doctors of color, like reaching out to your community and either having like open office hours or any of that kind of things to just make yourself available and have that access, right? Because first and foremost, you need education on what it is. And if you can have education in a language other than English so people can more easily understand it, I think that's going to be super, super helpful for the first like step to
0: do it um okay thanks i have a, do we have any information or what's the best um you know educated research or on once you've received the vaccination how long are you protected
7: you know um so b- both of the studies that that we have right now but the the um the Moderna model, the Moderna study, as well as the Pfizer one that, that's been published and, and available for everybody. Um, the, the immunity of it, the protection, um, it's going to be dependent on a number of factors, okay? Um, one is going to be on the mutation of the virus. And we've already seen some mutations that have occurred, and you may have, hear in the news about the, the Brazil. Mutation. You may hear about the South African mutation, the the, the British uh, mutation, um, and and what the um, especially Pfizer and Moderna, because we have more of the information with them because they're more available, is that they are working on making sure that the vaccine is working for those mutations. Number one, and number two, if it doesn't, can they develop something quickly to protect them? Okay, so right now we think that the vaccine itself, the amount of immunity that you get that can go up to 95% is that it probably will last a year to two years, okay? Maybe even more or, you know, right now that's, that's, that's the thought. So um, with, with, the, with the mutations, uh, we do know that with the British one, which is the one that we think it's gonna become the more prevalent in the next few months, that these two vaccines work quite well for it, okay? So it's not really a big problem. Um, With the mutation that we've seen from South Africa and the one from England, um, I mean, not England, from Brazil, um, it's still gonna work probably about more like 80%, 84%. Okay, and then Nino.
2: Very good. So what about reopening? You know, we're talking about the vaccine and that's definitely taking us closer to reopening. Um, Many of us here are, you know, in one way or another connected to education. How do you see that going about? And I think today I was reading an article saying um, that what we're finding out is a lot of the spreading is being done by actually adults, 25 to about 50 years old. You know, so is opening up to schools Getting back to this normalcy, how do you see that being possible? What's your outlook on it?
7: Right. So, um, ideally, what we want is to really sort of get back to normal. Is is in sort of reopening everything? Is we really need to make sure that at least seventy percent of the population has some form of immunity, whether they had the virus or they've been vaccinated. Um, so that's that's the ideal thing. Okay. Um, the The economic and the political thing is it's it's different, okay? Uh, because you know it's going to be based on what the politicians and the public wants, um, and therefore, what we need to do is we need to make sure that we continue to um, practice some of the things that we've been preaching for the last um, eight months or nine months. Is that one we need to continue at this point? Continue to use face masks if we're going to open. We need to continue to practice uh, physical distance as much as we can. And we need to try to limit um, um, large gatherings, okay? Now those gatherings may be that maybe we can expand it to um, 30 people, 40 people, you know, little by little depending on on who gets vaccinated, who has immunity or not. Um, And so that's gonna be, again, it's gonna be more a political situation um, than anything else. But medically, um, to sort of feel like we have a control over the virus is we need to have at least 70% of the population uh, with some form of immunity, either vaccinated or have got the virus. And we're still a long ways from there. So I, I think for large gatherings, uh, especially states like California, New York, um, you know, more progressive states, they're probably gonna hold off on large gatherings a lot longer than states like Florida, Texas. um, And that's just gonna be the political reality of that.
1: Okay, and then I have one question and I think it's one that you've been asked a lot is that if you have COVID and you're eligible for uh, the vaccine, should you get it?
7: Yes, so everybody should get the vaccine. Okay. So the only group right now that we're not providing the vaccine is if you're under 16 years old and that's going to change in the next couple of months. I think we're going to allow some kids to get it because we're not really seeing any, any problems with that. So if you need to get, if, if you, if you're over 16, you should get the vaccine. If that's available for you and you should get it as soon as you can. Okay. okay.
1: And then when, after you've had COVID, should you get a vaccine? Cause we're in short supply, you know, all that kind of stuff.
7: So um, the, the Centers for Disease Control recommends that right now, if you have had COVID, um, you want to wait until you have between 10 to 14 days, so you're finished your quarantine and you have no symptoms for you to get the vaccine. Um, at the beginning of it, we were a little more cautious. We we're telling people to wait three months before they get the vaccine. Now um, it's changing, so we're now making it available for anybody As long as you have finished the quarantine and you have no symptoms, you can go ahead and get the vaccine.
1: Cool. Okay. So I want to thank you for coming. This is very informational and it was fun to have you here. Um, Don't forget to check out This Is Our Shot for more information on vaccine distribution and COVID information in your area. Um, This has been the Reality Dysfunction. Wear your mask, wash your hands, um, and thank you all. This is
3: the Reality Dysfunction.